On Cinema Smorgasbord presents How Do You Do, Fellow Kids, we look at the life and film career of the always unique character actor, Steve Buscemi. So let's go. Welcome to How Do You Do, Fellow Kids. I'm Doug Tilly, and with me as usual is the corn-fed colossus Liam O'Donnell. Today we're looking at Tom McCarthy's comedy drama The Cobbler, starring Adam Sandler. How you doing today, Liam? I didn't realize I was corn-fed. The corn-fed colossus. <laughs> this is just because I'm from the, the United States, so you just assume corn is in everything down here? Well, you were raised in Idaho, Liam. No, no. No? Liam, uh, we are now well into the year uh, 2021. It's been a Are we well? I, I need a full month before I trust that it's a new year. Well, I'll tell I you. I feel like February is when the new year starts. The first 10 or so days of this new year has been has been somewhat eventful, I would say. I think it's fair to say. Sure. A couple of things went down. There were some things that happened to the world. But we're not going to – we're not here to – A, we're not here to make reference to current events because that immediately dates our podcast. Yes. And, but B – we're supposed to be a respite from the uh, frustrations of the world here on How Do You Do, Fellow Kids, the cinema of Steve Buscemi, Liam. This is a celebration mm. of a wonderful actor, and what better mm. way to celebrate his life and career than by talking about one of the worst movies I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> I like I like that. That's a, that's a convenient excuse for us not to date ourselves by talking about uh, events that we couldn't possibly ignore because the entire world is watching. But sure, let's go with that, that we're a respite. Or, or something. That's well, just the, look, the the crises that the world is encountering right now at the beginning of 2021, think about six months down the line and the different crises that the world will be experiencing or That's say true. in the year 2022, there's always going to be something. That's Leah. true. Someone's and, probably listening to this right now while they're avoiding our ant overlords. And, uh, you know, they don't want to be reminded of the good old days when all we had to worry about was uh, insurrections and such. Liam, on this episode, we're going to talk about a uh, collaboration between Steve Buscemi and the actor Adam Sandler that I think questionably or uh, uh, maybe are – I think it's safe to say did not go according to plan or perfectly. However, before we get into that, I want to talk about a recent success that Adam Sandler and Steve Buscemi have had together. And this was a live stream that Steve Buscemi put on for Friends of Firefighters that raised $150,000. Um, it, it's a recent uh, virtual fireside chat, an all-star, I would say, Liam, fireside chat that uh, included famous pals such as Adam Sandler, David Spade, and Judd Apatow. Weird ordering of the fame levels there yeah <laughs> but also other people as like uh, chris rock colin quinn uh rob schneider kevin james again a real mix of quality there in terms of the names that appeared but this was a live fundraiser i guess that they uh, they did to uh help raise money for firefighters in the united states of america liam any thoughts on firefighters i feel like uh there's been a lot of controversy in the year 2020 uh, and early 2021 about uh, the uh, the police, but firefighters they uh, they still got a pretty good uh, reputation, Liam. Yeah, the other day I uh, I uh, uh, was watching someone uh, talk about how if uh, the police can have military grade equipment, then the firefighters should have a uh, fire hose satellite that shoots water at your house from space. Uh, and I support that. I fully support that, actually, because uh, while I'm sure individual firefighters range from truly noble to some jerk, 
the idea of firefighters is like a good one from top to bottom. Yeah. Like I, I can't imagine a single logical argument about why, you know, firefighters aren't a good idea. It's like to me the ultimate. And it, and now I understand that in some communities they don't have full time firefighters. That it's more of a volunteer thing. And I, I don't know enough about the policy to really get into the details of that per se. But it just seems like every community at minimum should have firefighters. I personally think it makes sense for them to be fully employed and whatever, but maybe sure. maybe it doesn't make sense where you live and I don't want to push on anyone, but it does seem very noble. I will say our firefighters seem slightly less cool than firefighters in France who, who regularly fight the police. <laughs> sure. One of their favorite techniques is to light themselves on fire and run into a crowd of police. So that I think is pretty impressive. Look, you don't need to be a fireman to do that. I'll just, just putting that out there into the world. <laughs> but yeah, Leo, no, let me... I mean, I, I think that also uh, one of the things we learned post 9-11 is that we don't always take care of our first responders. Right. And I think especially for fi- firefighters, you know, that, that – if they are getting sick from what they're doing, we should be taking care of them, you know, period, you know. And notoriously, Steve Buscemi was a fireman uh, in a past life, let's say, and obviously has connected to uh, that profession. Uh, and, and that's probably, in fact, and almost certainly why he's been involved with Friends of Firefighters up to this point. I do want to read just this small section from this article about this fundraiser. Adam Sandler reflected on his time working on 2007's I Now Pronounce You Chuck and Larry, in which he and co-star Kevin James play two straight, single Brooklyn firefighters who pretend to be a gay couple in order to receive domestic partner benefits. Sandler noted how it was a pleasure getting to work alongside real firefighters for his role, and how anytime he walks around New York City, he enjoys stopping by local fire stations to greet firefighters. It is, like, this is very emblematic of the, the, the thing that we're going to talk about with today's movie, which is... Some of the motivations and the things connected to these movies are positive things, and it's obviously things that people involved, like Adam Sandler, are really passionate about. And then there's these trappings, and they're wrapped in this this package of just, like, the worst shit imaginable. Because I can tell you, I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry, is unwatchable. It is fucking oh, sure. terrible. Yeah. Well, and I, I mean, even this idea, right? Like, this is a fundraiser where clearly... Uh, Steve Buscemi and Adam Sandler got together. They're friends, right? You know, it'd be like if you if, if we were, you know, me and Doug. No one cares about us. We're not famous, but let's True. say we were fame adjacent. <laughs> and we got invited to a party at Adam Sandler's house. We could literally list the people there who we would like love, like give unbelievable amounts to meet and the people there that we never want to know like i would pay money to never meet if there was a kevin james tax where i had to pay every year to make sure i never interacted with kevin james i would pay that tax with a smile on my face uh and yet i would probably fight someone to meet chris rock because i really like chris rock especially new i'm going through therapy and i'm figuring my stuff out chris rock right the best so cool i think that's he's like the coolest dude to be right i now. i hate to be a kevin james defender and i don't oh, like no, thank i don't you. think i don't think any of his work is good but i don't think he's given off like the toxic vibe of someone like a rob schneider who to me is like that sure. bottom of the oh, barrel okay example I, of see the... but here's the difference though i would pay to meet rob schneider if i knew i could beat him up is that what is that what happens at parties <laughs> you pay the fee to get in and then you get to beat the shit out of rob schneider <laughs> that's a party we could have and raise a lot of money doug <laughs> talk about future fundraiser for the site 
Well, uh, unfortunately, Liam, we're not talking about Rob Schneider. Actually, I guess fortunately, Rob Schneider does not appear in the movie That's that true. we are going to be discussing today. In fact, despite it being an Adam Sandler vehicle, it does not have all of the trappings of um, the kind of Adam Sandler produced films that say the, his recent Netflix movies. I feel like critics a lot of the time are uh, say that Adam Sandler uses these films as an excuse to go on vacation with his friends, uh, which in some ways I guess is somewhat admirable. But The Cobbler isn't like that, Liam. It's a real movie from a real director with real actors in it, uh, which is what makes it so interesting and also so horrifying to watch yeah. in some ways. I think Let- we'll get. I think we'll, we're going to get into it in a sec here, but I would suggest the number one indicator is that we are seeing sad Adam Sandler. Yes. If we see angry Adam Sandler or weird character Adam Sandler, that's a fun Adam Sandler movie. But as soon as a director's like, I want you to be sad, you know, oh, this is someone trying to get at something else. And while I think this movie falls short of serious film, it did want to have some of those vibes. It's a serious movie that's also comedic, that also delves into some very... Strange places. Let's take a break, Liam. When we return, we're going to be talking about 2014's The Cobbler. It's the Stitcher. I could be anybody I want. <laughs> My boyfriend wanted me to drop these off. Yeah, you are. Thank you. You there? Yeah. Come here. Oh, you gotta be kidding me. Shops closed half the time. Acting all crazy. <sighs> I know where this is going. I've seen it before. You have not seen this before. Trust me. Hi. Can I help you? We're trying to stop real estate developers from forcing the regular people out. If you don't walk out of here right now, I am going to burn this whole place to the ground. We need people like you to get involved, Max. Look, I have a special ability to see stuff I shouldn't. What the? Hey. It's a privilege to walk in another man's shoes, but it's also a responsibility. You are a guardian of souls. You are the cobbler. You missed it. You okay? A cobbler, bored of his everyday life, stumbles upon a magical heirloom that allows him to become other people and see the world in a different way. It's 2014's The Cobbler, directed by Tom McCarthy, the director of 2003's The Station Agent and 2015's Spotlight. And this is a movie that nestles between those two movies, Liam, very comfortably. This is also uh, written by Tom McCarthy uh, in conjunction with Paul Sato, who is a regular Adam Sandler um, collaborator. Uh, uh, he produced the movie The Ridiculous Six and I think co-wrote the movie Sandy, Sandy Wexler. Uh, Liam... This is a very unusual movie with quite a reputation. Conceptually, like when I read that plot summary, it kind of sounds like, you know, it's got the kind of hook that you would expect from an Adam Sandler movie, right? He's going to walk a mile in people's shoes, quite literally. He's a cobbler. Uh, He lives in New York City. The movie even kind of starts... Uh, and and maybe this is a, a an unfortunate or a false comparison, but it's kind of got a Hester Street aspect to it, right? Where it's a turn of the century, and all of these Jewish people getting together, and they're talking about 
this person with this ability, and we don't really understand it, this cobbler who's kind of the center of the community. And what we really find out at the end of the movie is that this is a movie that is a celebration of tradespeople. Um, but how it gets to that conclusion and what that means at the conclusion is something that we will get to a little bit later. We're not going to talk about spoilers right yet, but we will get into the ending of this movie, which is probably the most controversial part of it. Uh, and it has a lot of competition. Liam, what did you think of 2014's The Cobbler? Doug, you're no slouch when it comes to bad movies. You've watched your fair share of. of I want to make some. I want to that... make something kind of clear, Liam, because that's a really good thing to to bring up. I'm not like a bad movie person. You sure. know what I mean? I'm not one of those people who are like, I've got to see. I mean, I do like Neil Breen movies and stuff like that. I do have fun with that sort of thing. But it's not like I got. I can't wait to tear into the latest Adam Sandler movie or see like Mordecai or something like that, so I can laugh at it. It's just like I, I'm just a little too old that unless it's really um, uniquely bad. It's not something I'm going to pursue, though I do have to say that in this particular case, there is a uniqueness to the badness. <laughs> well, so the, what I was going to say is you're you're no slouch when it comes to movies that are made badly. And yes. that is a different kind of bad mm. because what's so amazing about this film is that so many bad choices are made with high-quality materials. Those high-quality materials being... The people involved, the uh, way that it's made, you know, it's not, there's no boom mics or anything like, you know what I mean? This isn't like a, a low budget scrappy film that just happened to do some crazy stuff. This is a real ass movie with real ass people. And any one of these real ass people could have stopped and said, you know, this, uh, this part that's supposed to be touching with his mother, it's got a real weird Oedipal vibe. Maybe we should cut this part out or, hey, yo, uh. What's going on with this Method Man character? This is strange. This is a strange direction we've gone. Or, hey, uh, since we've made this character really, like, almost completely unlikable, maybe he doesn't get with uh, the young activist girl. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's there's so many poor decisions made here. Just completely undefensible decisions to me that it's like a whole other level of bad that is like not what I'm used to because when I talk about bad movies which I don't do a lot of that's not really my bread and butter either but when I have done it they are movies that are extraordinary oftentimes in how they even got made that some crazy outsiders made something like uh, you know not for you but for someone like you me and Josh uh, struggled through Science Crazed, right? A movie right. that you particularly enjoy. And that is a bad movie, you know? But, <laughs> the, <laughs> but the way that it's bad is different than this, right? That is a movie that is kind of amazing in, in the ways that it does what it does. This movie is also amazing, but it's amazing because, like, how did anyone greenlight this crazy shit? There's a, there's a kind of... Um category of podcast that features bad movies where a lot of it is you'll talk about the movie and then you go oh my god can you believe how crazy this is and it's right. and like like you got to make every movie sound like it's equally insane right. at all times right. i have to say though in this particular case the craziness is worthy of that sort of reaction. When well, I, was, I, I think mm -hmm. some of those podcasts they make the mistake of picking movies that someone somewhere actually just thinks is great yeah and 
And for me, if that's how someone feels about this movie, if someone check is checking this out going, I know Doug and Liam will have my back, that this is actually really good. I would love for you to contact us. I want to know how your brain works because I don't fucking get it in this case. So let's delve into the plot a little bit here. Adam Sandler plays a cobbler. So he's a, a guy who fixes shoes in New York City, and he's one of a long line of cobblers in his family. And he seems like kind of a sad sack. He doesn't enjoy doing it. We find out that his father disappeared, uh, I guess, years earlier. His mother appears to have dementia. They show that hilariously by her putting her purse in the microwave. Um, and Big laughs. Big, big laughs. Hilarious laughs here in the movie about dementia. Um, <laughs> that's not the worst that it gets, though. Um, and so this character, he doesn't want to be doing this. He, he meets this activist uh, who's trying to combat the... Uh, gentrification of his neighborhood That becomes a huge part of it Anyway, he finds this machine in his basement That used to belong to his father and his grandfather And when you work on a pair of shoes with this machine uh, It allows you to put the shoes on and you become that person And when I say become, you just look like them You don't get their brain and you don't get their uh, history He can be Method Man And he can be a trans person And he can be uh, a dead guy, I guess, at some point as well. He can just look like these people. And then he goes on a series of, I guess, adventures uh, that eventually leads into kind of this heist sequence where Ellen Barkin is this, um, she's like a, a gang boss, political landlord person. Anyway, she's just basically a bigwig that he gets the one up on at the semi end of the movie. I think we're both in agreement, Liam, that if this movie just kind of focused on um, pushing back against gentrification and, uh, and and more of these heist elements where he's switching bodies and things like that, that there could be something here. So in terms of the people who might defend this movie, maybe they're fixated on those parts of it and ignoring, say, some of the more troublesome elements. Would you think that might be the case, Liam? But it almost... <sighs> Other than the timing of that plot, that is a side mission. It yes. only becomes the main mission because, for whatever reason, this movie has to also be a almost like a redemption story for him. Like, he's got to learn to stop being a sad sack and do something for other people, as if we needed that element as well as the passing of his mother and the discovery of uh, what happened to his father and his burgeoning relationship with someone 24 years younger than him <laughs> and all these elements that, like, there's so many things, let alone all of the turmoil around getting a using the Method Man character, the Leon Ludlow character, using his criminal connections to get money to buy a headstone for his dead mother, who, by the way, died because he pretended to be his father, and they had an <laughs> Oedipal date, and almost ended in sex, really, is how it feels it's going to end, but his mom just dies, which is, like, I guess less dramatic. And... <laughs> You know what I mean? Like the the whole thing that if it was just he sees a problem after having one or two misadventures in other people's bodies, he sees a problem and he realizes, ah, bada bing, bada boom, I can help. No, 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 no. He's already committed legal and moral atrocities at yeah. this point. 
prior to then figuring out he could do something good. And I we're mean, supposed to be stoked on him by the end of the movie. In some ways, it's it, it feels like it wants to go the Groundhog Day route, right? Where at first, like, this thing is happening, this unique, magical thing is happening. And at first, he's going to be really selfish about it. And eventually, he's going to learn to use this ability to help the world. Because his... But it's not that he's an evil person at the beginning of the movie. He's just as self-interested and sad and not particularly interesting. But his... Like, when he's able to do this, there would be a million ways to make money using this magical ability he has. But he does it by holding up, like, basically looking like a black guy so he can hold up a rich person and steal their shoes so he can then steal their car and go driving around in it. Or to go into a restaurant dressed as someone else and then go in the bathroom and just fucking dine and dash on the meal. It is... So... That would still kind of, I, it wouldn't be funny, but it would still kind of work if there was that real redemption at the end. But I'm not really sure what kind of changes him mm. outside of his mother passing away. Uh, and she already was in kind of an unfortunate state even before she passed away. So let's talk about that other element, even though we're not going to get into spoilers quite yet, which is that at this cobbler shop that Adam Sandler works in, it's next to a barber shop, which is run by Steve Buscemi, playing the character of Jimmy. Good friend. Of Adam Sandler, uh, you know, shows up to kind of guide him along the way of the movie. The other element is that the actor who plays Adam Sandler's father, who who left the family, is Dustin Hoffman. So when Adam Sandler pretends to be his father, dresses up as him uh, for the date with his mother, Dustin Hoffman is in that part of the movie. Um, Dustin, this is before Dustin Hoffman was disgraced by the Me Too movement, which I think a lot of people have forgotten. Um, so those two elements are going to connect at some point, but we're not going to talk about that right yet. First, I want to ask you, Liam, is this the worst Adam Sandler movie that you've seen? It's hard to say. I, I still have such a bad taste in my mouth after Little Nicky, which I find to be a true crime uh, that I experienced, but I haven't rewatched it. So so in my memories, Little Nicky's like the worst thing that happened to me in a theater. <laughs> but... In reality, that's probably not true because I was pretty young when Little Nicky came out sure. and I was still stoked on Adam Sandler. Like I didn't know the many crimes he would commit in, later in his life. So <laughs> to me, I was watching Little Nicky going, but this is this is my guy. What is going on here? Like, like what's happening? Uh, watching this, I already expect a tragedy, man. I already expect something. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I'm already thinking it's going to be horrible. And, and honestly... And, you know, you could speak to this, too. There's a lot of lore going into this movie, right? Like, when this mm -hmm. came out, people were decrying this or celebrating it for its terribleness, right? This yes. was a emblematically bad movie. This, this, so, is, this is on the top of worst of the year lists yeah. in 2014. So my expectations were really high. Now, I'm not saying it didn't meet those expectations, but... It's a pretty high bar to meet of how terrible this was going to be. Um Still, it's at least in the running for worst Adam Sandler movie I've seen, and I'm unwilling to revisit the ones I've seen that I also <laughs> don't like to see if it stands up. Because, the again, uh, and maybe this is the difference between us and people who enjoy things for their badness in a certain way, I don't see any joy in rewatching this. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, mm -hmm. the movies I enjoy that other people might say, that's a bad movie. You know, so we recently 
you know, uh, watched a movie with a bunch of friends that's generally considered not a great movie. I could see myself revisiting that movie because I was entertained by it being bad. I wasn't like entertained by this being bad. I was more like, I can't believe this is happening. So <laughs> the only joy in rewatching this would be to rewatch it with someone who has no idea what's what they're in for and seeing their reaction to some of the things that are in this movie. I think my fear would be because the movie is glossy, you know what I mean? Like yeah. mm-hmm. it, it because it looks good that I would find someone who's so pulled in by the fact that it looks like a real movie that they wouldn't notice the horrible crimes being committed. <laughs> I think it's the most wrong-headed Adam Sandler movie because sure. th- this isn't this is uh, this is not a lazy movie, uh, at least not as oh. lazy as some other Adam Sandler movies. This is a movie made by talented people who have a perspective and are trying to make like this is still a message movie, uh, whether it be that celebration of tradespeople or you know these areas of New York that have been gentrified, or the idea of like finding peace with uh, familial. Co- like, I mean, there's lots of stuff in this uh, that is is meant to be very very sincere, and it's played so badly and so ridiculously. I mean, you're right. I can't really compare it to. I I think of Little Nicky as being similar to when I saw Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back in theater. Where it was, a, a, I'm watching it, and I'm sitting there, and I'm like, and it's it's so bad that it saps away any of my enthusiasm for anything that came before or what was to come afterwards. Where it just made me question, did I ever enjoy anything that this person made because it's so bad? This movie feels like an attempt to capture something that some other people have captured with Adam Sandler. This kind of sad, sad character that you've already referred to. To put him in this kind of magical... Um, this this kind of uh, quirky, magical conceit that you see in a lot of comedies. But this movie doesn't know really what it is in terms of tone. It is a very tonally confused movie. And we already you already kind of referred to the fact. So one of the, the – in fact, the first pair of shoes that he puts on belongs to this Method Man character. And this character is such a thug cliche in this movie. And he's given no dimension at all. In fact, the only dimension that he's even sort of provided is that he is somewhat redeemed while Adam Sandler is in his body because he apologizes to his girlfriend for beating her up. But he never does that. He gets murdered by Adam Sandler in this movie who, who sticks a, uh, a high-heeled shoe through his neck and kills him. And that's not really supposed to be seen as a, like a, a crime in this movie. I think it's supposed to be just kind of waved off. I mean, add it to the list, right? Like, yeah. prior to deciding to help this one old man keep his apartment building, um, based entirely on his inside information, he finds out about it. Uh, all Adam Sandler does is literal crimes against humanity while he's in other people's bodies. One of those crimes involves so he has a sexy uh, male neighbor with a sexy girlfriend, and he's the male neighbor is played by the great Dan Stevens, and. Um, I guess we are supposed to not like Dan Stevens' character because I guess the only reason we're not supposed to like him is that we find out later that he's bisexual, right? We find well, out that I, it, the, the suggestion is that maybe he's cheating on his pretty girlfriend, it, right. but that's not clear. Maybe right. they have this sort of relationship where it's okay that he makes out with other people. And the movie decides to to get even with this character of Dan Stevens. By Adam Sandler jumping into his body, going up to his apartment, like sneaking into it where his girlfriend is in the shower, 
her inviting him into the shower, and he is absolutely about to get into the shower and have sex with her, you know, unknowingly to her, who he is, except he can't take his shoes off or he'll turn back into Adam Sandler. But aside from that, that's the only thing stopping him from raping her. He was absolutely intending to do it. You'd think this far away from Revenge of the Nerds, we'd all learned that what was considered male hijinks in the 80s is actually sexual assault. Like, I thought we'd all had that conversation by the time the cobbler was coming. I'm just going to, I want to put this out there. This isn't just like Liam and I being like the woke police. It's super fucked up in the movie. It is so fucking weird. And how could they have not, like, we're going to talk in just a second about this really uncomfortable trans aspect of the movie. And I'm not going to excuse it in any possible way, but it's just, that seems like it, it comes from a tradition that's just a few years old where they got away with this in Hollywood movies. This rape shit, like, there's no way that that everybody didn't see this and w- was like, what are you doing? You can't put this in your movie, right? Uh, or even if it was just like uh, he gets into the shower, or sorry, he gets into the, the, the bathroom and she invites him in and he suddenly realizes, oh, no, this is fucked up. I got to get out of here. I can't do this. That's not how it plays out. He wants to have sex with her, but he can't because of the shoes. If he takes his shoes off, he'll stop being Dan Stevens. Yes. That's all that stops him. And it's so... Not okay. <laughs> and especially because later he sees her and she's like nice to him. And we're supposed to think like, oh, and it's like, no, no, he almost raped that woman. What is wrong with you? So the other thing, one of the other pairs of shoes that he puts on is uh, of a uh, a trans woman. And he puts them on and he looks in the mirror and he notices that he has breasts and he's like super excited. And he's like, I'm a woman. And then he puts his hand down his pants and finds out that he has, I suppose, genitals, uh, male genitals down there, and says, no, I'm not a woman, which A, is wrong and horribly offensive, but B, becomes a joke that continues for the rest of the movie. This character returns again and again as like this threatening thing for people. It's like, oh my God, this woman is actually, quote unquote, a man. And that's what's going to be, and that's how it, that, like, it's never played for sympathy at all. It's always a joke. It doesn't even narratively make sense. He can't no. walk in the heels. Yeah. Why would he continually choose to be the only per- body? So with every pair of shoes he has, he has a body to switch into. Why would he consistently choose the one pair of shoes where he can't walk around in the shoes? It doesn't make any sense. And he has the access only- to tons and tons of pairs of shoes. They, they just have to fit him, right? They're ten and a half, I guess, the, the only size. The only moment that makes less sense is at a certain moment when he's in danger, he switches into the body of a dead man to scare the people he's with why would he have those shoes with him the one time he does it before that he finds it horrifying yes there's no reason he would say i better take these dead man shoes because i have to look like a dead man it doesn't oh man it also (laughs) by the way so the fact that if someone if the person whose shoes that he wears if they're dead that he will look dead that kind of fucks up the whole movie in a lot of ways because if you start thinking about particularly the ending which we'll talk about in just a little bit but also when he starts looking around his um his his workplace for old shoes to put on you think a good portion of those people would be dead right if they didn't pick up their shoes that there'd be a significant amount that he'd run into dead people all the time which would be really scary every time you put on one of those pairs of shoes but yeah like you said liam why couldn't he just put on a pair of flats that belong to a woman and then walk around as a woman if he wanted to be comfortably look like a woman like this movie the context of it which is walk a mile in someone's shoes think about the like the method man character where he comes in and he's acting like all tough and and all gangster to to Adam Sandler 
And like in a, <laughs> you would think that he puts on the shoes and then he goes out and lives some of the experience. Like it's 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 still terrible because the idea of this white man in a black man's skin is just a really embarrassing idea. But he goes out and he has like these experiences and he realizes like all the frustrations and difficulties that this person has to live with as a black man in New York City. This movie doesn't even want to explore any of that. It's him pretending to be an Asian guy so he can do Tai Chi in the park. There is no point at which he learns anything about these people. Like the even though the movie wants to use the phrase to walk in another man's shoes, and in this case, you know, all kinds of people's shoes, that has a meaning. There's an idea there. And the film yeah. is uninterested in that in every way. Ed it doesn't even logically make sense. Like when he's in the Asian man's body, he has the Asian man's accent as if the Asian man's accent is physically tied to his body. It would, any accent you have would be connected to your brain Mm -hmm. and therefore you would have other things of that person. Right. And it doesn't also doesn't make sense because he can't speak the person's language. So why would he have an accent and then not be able to speak their language? It doesn't, it's so uninteresting. This is the thing, right? It, what's so weird about this movie, when you're watching another Adam Sandler movie, one of these movies that, as you said, people describe as like vacation films, when those movies have dumb things in them, it doesn't matter, right? Because you're like, no one cared. Like, if you were like, hey, I was watching whatever, uh, Road Hogs or whatever fucking movie, and there's inconsistencies in it. People would be like, who? No one cared, man. They just made a movie for funsies. It doesn't matter. Even something that's a little more, like, not serious, but but feels more work intensive, like Hubie Halloween. Sure. Like, they're just having fun, man. Who cares? This movie wants to be a real movie. It's funny, or it's trying to be funny, but that doesn't mean it doesn't want to be a real film with real things in it. So every time this shit doesn't make sense, not just detail wise but like thematically that like oh this is horrifying who thought this was a good idea it's that much more galling because it's trying to be like some hollywood ass shit you know i mean remember that the director and writer of this the very next year won a bunch of oscars for a very serious movie about you know the the catholic church uh molestation scandal and the uh and the boston reporters who uncovered it with spotlight i mean that was the year after this this is obviously a movie which has a brain it's just that its brain is like misfiring constantly with everything that it's trying to do there is again a core of an interesting idea here but it feels like it's almost like two movies kind of smushed together like a goofy jim carrey-esque movie which has this kind of magical conceit to it and then it's a movie that's also trying to tackle more serious issues about race and about gentrification but it doesn't explore any of those beside the fact that hey gentrification is wrong the people involved in it they're not just evil like they're the most evil people and then they're also using kind of street level evil people to do their bidding as well and they're all working in conjunction but the real thing that i take away from this is that the movie thinks that everyone who isn't part of the, that level of people, that they're all the same, right? That like when he gets into the to an Asian person's body or a trans person's body or a black man's body, that their life experience is pretty much the same as his as just a white guy cobbler on the street of New York, which is a really offensive thing to put into your movie. It's just, it, it, it feels like it was just a way to make the movie easier. That they were like, we can't explore any of the things that would make this hard to do. 
uh, Liam, because we've been tearing into this movie a little bit, I want you to say one nice thing about the movie The Cobbler from 2014. Maybe it's a performance. Maybe it's a, a thematic part of it. Maybe it's a joke in the movie that you found amusing. What's good about this movie? The moment where they turn the tables on the landlord and she's caught with uh, threatening uh, who she thinks is the tenant right. and the news guy comes out, that is the only satisfying moment of this entire fucking film. And if the rest of the movie had the sort of whimsical energy that that moment does, but a little more thought because even that doesn't quite work uh but if it was more like that sort of energy with some thought and intention behind it i think this movie would actually be good because i think that moment shows like oh here's something the audience actually wants which is uh a satisfying use of these powers to do something that like is cool you know like yeah get get her she's clearly bad we want this dude to like knock it out of his place and like you've actually used like there are so many moments in this film that don't play out really that like don't go anywhere and so to actually use the the checkoff's gun of the card from the news guy for something actually meaningful is like cool it's like wow we actually we actually made a, a two-pointer on that one. Maybe maybe I would go so far as to say a three-pointer, and then the rest of the game we were trying to light the basketball on fire. It just doesn't make sense. It, it almost – I'll be honest. I hate, that, I hate that I'm this kind of audience, but that moment actually made me like the movie less, though. Yeah. Because I saw that moment and thought, you could have been doing this shit the whole time. What the fuck? You know, but like it's it's, you know, whatever it is, what it is. That moment is actually satisfying. And if the movie had ended there, I actually would be on here being like, it's bad, but it's not as bad as people say. Yeah, it's that the movie continues on and that really shits on itself. That like makes me be like, this movie fucking sucks. There was one moment in this movie I kind of liked, which is Adam Sandler. We don't uh, basically we're looking from the inside of Steve Buscemi's barbershop and a person comes up to the door of his barbershop and opens right. it up. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, it's like, uh, he's just like, he, he, the guy looks totally confused and Steve Buscemi is confused by him. And it's like, like, what time are you open till? And it's like, it's on, he's, he's like, it's on the door. It's like, oh yeah? And he just like, he's just super awkward. And then you suddenly realize, or, or you quickly realize that this is Adam Sandler and someone else's skin just testing to see if everyone else can see him in this body and it's so weird and awkward and it's very much like a kind of a gag that you would see in an Adam Sandler movie um, and that's one of the other things about this movie is that you have all these other actors when he's in their skin they have to do their Adam Sandler impressions of how they're walking and talking uh, because they're supposed to be him I do think there is something amusing to that again they don't take it in any interesting place but the, I just want to be as positive as I can before talking about the fucking ending of this movie. Which... Well, I will. I will say. I assume those moments are why Method Man did the movie because yeah. him as himself is just stupid. But when he gets to be Adam Sandler in his body, because he's you know he's acting that. Yeah, those moments are great. I love Method Man trying to be Adam Sandler. I think yeah. that that was great. And the moment you're talking about is also pretty cool, partly because some random person I don't recognize got to pretend to be Adam Sandler does a pretty good job actually. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so like, that's all cool, but we get so fucking little of that, you know? And the person who gets a chance to do that, who I think does it very poorly. And I hate to say it cause I love him is Dan Stevens. I actually think the moments where he's supposed to be Dan Stevens are all bad. Yeah. I don't think Dan Stevens has figured out how to be Adam Sandler 
in any way, shape, or form. That whole subplot, by the way, with Dan Stevens' character, I mean, it seems to exist only for that shower scene, which makes it all the more just awful that it's in this movie. Just fucking terrible. Um, We're going to spoil the ending of The Cobbler now. If people are talking about the movie The Cobbler in the year 2021, it's probably because of this ending, which um, I can't think of any other term to refer to it other than absolutely insane. It is really out there. So if you do not want the end of The Cobbler spoiled, uh, I would jump ahead a little bit at this point. Liam, I do want to ask you, did you guess the twist at of this movie at the end at any point watching it? Yes. Yes. Uh, yes and no. If the twist was purely the main twist, that right. is, hey, guess what? I'm actually your dad. Then that so is... So let's, 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 let's clarify that. The Steve Buscemi character... Is, ac- is actually Adam Sandler's dad. He's been wearing shoes the entire time to look like Steve Buscemi, who, by the way, used to be a person that did work at a barbershop next to the cobbler, but that guy moved away a long time ago, and he took it over because apparently gangsters were threatening Dustin Hoffman's character, his father, the Adam Sandler's father. And so in order to protect his family, he decided to pretend to be Steve Buscemi for the rest of his life, but he could still be very close to the family because he's right next door and could still guide his son and, I guess, not look at his wife ever again. Right, so that's what I was going to say. The That moment and that detail is fine. I'm okay with that. It's stupid, but it's not offensively stupid per se, except for they haven't dealt actually with the emotional impact of that, and the way they deal with the emotional impact of that is that uh, Adam Sandler is cranky for like uh, 30 seconds, and then we just move on. And part of the way we just move on is the part that I find just fucking insane which is basically like being a cobbler and having access to these shoes makes you sort of like a low rent kingsman i guess yeah i mean uh, the ending of this movie is exactly like the the kingsman absolutely yeah where there's he's part of a whole society of tradesmen who run the world and uh some do good things some do bad things but they all are actually the people responsible for what's happening in the world and now he's going to induct his son into the secret society basically uh where they'll fight their rivals the dry cleaners and it's like part of a whole sort of mystical world that we now have to just accept at the end it's actually psychotic and it is it feels as a viewer it doesn't just feel like a bad idea. It feels like a cheap way of getting around the abuse you've put your family through for however many years. Yeah, it's like, like, it's like look at one hand. Look at this hand over here, right? It's supposed to be distracting you from the fact that if you think about it for more than two seconds, that it's just like, wait, you abandoned your family because you were threatened, but you basically have a magical ability that could make all threats go away. I mean, is it a financial thing? You can use your ability to fix that. Is it, a th- I mean, how fucking old were these gangsters? How long were they threatening his family? Dustin Hoffman's like in his 70s. I just don't don't get it like there's no there you're not given any detail about the threat that made him have to leave or maybe it will get that in the cobbler prequel <laughs> yeah it doesn't none of it works it's so awkward and it it takes what is already like a like a like a silly premise that they didn't use very well anyway and tries to blow it up into this whole other larger realm that then feels insulting it's like a final i don't uh Think about if you were like watching John Wick, right? And John Wick, his uh, his wife dies, his dog is murdered, and then he goes on a revenge thing. And as the movie progresses, you see that this is not our world. It is this 
highly mythologized world where it has all of these like like uh, collections of hitmen and like hotel. It, it gets more and more kind of comic booky and pulpy as the movie goes on. Imagine if they the whole movie was just kind of a normal revenge movie, and then in the last five minutes they put all of those weird pulpy elements in it just there. You'd walk out of the movie thinking like, "What the fuck did I just see?" And that's what you think. Coming out of the cobbler Let, Let's just go into a little bit more detail there Which is that Steve Buscemi reveals that he's actually Adam Sandler's father And has been the whole time And I did pick up on that He also mentions that These pickles that have become this This fucking regular part of the movie Where he's constantly offering Adam Sandler pickles That I guess it helps you deal with the switch Of these bodies better If you have the salt from these pickles Mentioned for two seconds Never elaborated on at all. Just completely fucking insane. Well, it also, suddenly we have context we never had before, which is that this is a biological process. Yes. This was supposed to be magic. Everything about this says it's magic. Now suddenly there's biological consequences? What the fuck is going on? Yeah, even though there's no, been no sign earlier that like when he's in those bodies for extended time. that it, Again, I, I compared some of this movie to Darkman when I was writing about it, but that's what it reminded me of, right? It's like its mask is starting to slip, so he needs to have the salt from the pickles. Anyway, then he opens a door at the back of his barbershop that leads into like a limousine, which has a driver waiting for him there. And then he takes Adam Sandler to this hall of shoes. Now, Liam, I don't understand this hall of shoes part at all. So these shoes all belong to famous people around the world? The idea is that he's gotten these shoes, yeah, from various, I don't know if it's famous people, important people. Important And so that he can impersonate these important people and do things. Even though the people still exist. So how does he coordinate this? But that's the idea is that he's been secretly helping people via magic shoes forever. Then why would he be more capable of helping people? He's just a person. (laughs) So this is what's crazy, right? He then connects it all the way back to the Adam Sandler's like great, 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 great grandfather that he's been doing this since then. And some of those shoes belong to them. Right. So this is where we get into the dead person. problem. Yeah. These were just all Dustin Hoffman shoes. Then, okay, he could vaguely be like, oh, Tom died. I'll go throw away Tom's shoes. Some of these shoes are going back four generations. These people are fucking dead. What are we talking about? Are you going to be a skeleton when you put them on? What the fuck? Right. And then and then that he actually shows them the shoes first. Then they go out to the limousine. They get in the car. And he starts to explain other things that all the all apparently all the tradesmen have something, but he doesn't explain what they're doing. Right. And then he says that their only actual rivals are dry cleaners because they're all bad. So they got to fight the dry cleaners. But then he says uh, cobblers, though, some are good, some are bad, but they all like do stuff. And then but this is the part that really gets me, Doug. But then the reason they get to do this is because they have this magical stitcher. Right. Because an angel came to them, which then suggests did an angel go to every single fucking cobbler that also runs the world and does magical shit and give them a magical stitcher? Or does everyone like it doesn't the whole thing feels like a fucking Coke dream. Like what is going on right now? Now we should mention, I don't think we brought it up yet that this movie is steeped in Jewish folklore to some extent. And now I'm not familiar with the stories that this is taking from, but I, I'm, I'm, fairly confident in saying that the direction that this movie <laughs> went in is not this it, it's it's only taking kind of like the base level idea again the idea of walking a mile in someone's shoes or maybe the nobility of a tradesperson which by the way is i think a very valid theme to have in a movie right the, the idea of kind of um making these tradespeople out to be 
almost superhero like i think there's something kind of cool about that putting it into literally the last four minutes of your movie so people can walk out of the theater as being like what (laughs) that to me it's not even funny right it's not funny in in it being so weird it feels like a a way to distance itself from the fact that the movie before it was so bad because it got so weird at the end yeah i don't (laughs) It doesn't it, it it just by the time it happens too, I'm already so uninvested in what's happening that I'm like, sure, whatever, he's magic he's Superman now. I don't know, whatever the <laughs> fuck. <sighs> Liam, we need to talk about Steve Buscemi, uh, a beloved actor uh, who this entire podcast is about, who actually has a uh, one of the things I was worried about watching this because I wasn't really sure is that Steve Buscemi might not be in it that much, but he is. He's in it throughout. And uh, just like yourself, I figured out about halfway through the movie who he was supposed to be. Really, you know what? I figured it out when Adam Sandler was in the basement with uh, the machine and then Steve Buscemi just shows up behind him. And I think it's like, why would he go into the basement looking for this guy? And then it all kind of clicked together. Oh, he's obviously his father giving him this guiding advice and covering up his murders and saving him from various car crashes and whatnot. Um, Liam, how is Steve Buscemi in The Cobbler? I mean, he's okay. You know, he he his only role seems to be to uh, have conversations with Adam Sandler and worry about him and nag him, which I guess is what his dad would do, I guess. Uh, But that's it. That's all he does is that, you know, Um, there's not much else there. I guess he gets to be a little smug at the end when he's like, actually, you need these pickles. <laughs> the pickles but, are the key. <laughs> but, uh, but, other, but other than that, the, it doesn't make sense. There's not really there's not really much that he's doing. So, you know, it, it's fine. It's a fine performance. He doesn't do anything bad. He's not out here being weird or something. But there's just not a whole lot there to be like, oh, yeah, Steve Buscemi's great in this, you know. One thing that really stuck out to me, and maybe it's because I believe this is the most recent Steve Buscemi film we've covered on this podcast, is that we've been covering a lot of kind of uh, late, 80, late 80s, early 90s Steve Buscemi performances where he plays that kind of nervous chatterbox, you know, uh, very youthful performances in a lot of ways. But now he has, because he's aged, he's taken on, like, this is like a grandfatherly role, right? That this is a very paternal and caring and like this is the the softest Steve Buscemi character maybe we've ever seen in any of the the roles that we've covered so far and it's been a really interesting uh, evolution of his career of course he's aged into it a little bit but he is kind of got that hound dog very sympathetic look to him where that same look where again his look is what has defined a lot of his career is the reason that he played a lot of creeps and weirdos throughout the 90s yeah I think that's very fair actually um, and I do like seeing him in in sort of like a elder statesman sort of role, you know. But there's just not enough of him to, for me to really say much about the performance. I will say that unlike um, unlike a lot of the actors in this movie, and I would put Dustin Hoffman in that category to a certain extent. I'd put Ellen Barkin, who I really like, in this category. He doesn't know he doesn't embarrass himself and i'm not saying that those performances are are all embarrassing it's just that the context that those performances are in in the movie are more embarrassing than steve buscemi's character who gets to kind of just hang around in the background until the big twist and a lot of the embarrassment of that twist falls on dustin hoffman as opposed to steve buscemi so you can come out of this movie thinking you know what steve buscemi is still a pretty cool guy because guess what he is he just happens to be friends with adam sandler 
Right, which is I I think in many ways still a blessing and a curse, right? Like he's he's gotten good things. It's not like every time he's associated with Adam Sandler, it's embarrassing, but a lot of times it is. Uh, Matt Singer, the critic, his letterbox review for The Cobbler is just one line, uh, one star review. Holy Lord, what happened here? <laughs> and Nathan Raymond's half star review is. Not McCarthy's best work, which boy, I'll, I'll, that's fair to say. Have you seen any other Tom McCarthy movies, Liam? I mean, I think the two that you mentioned, Station Agent, which I love, I'm actually a huge fan of, and then um, uh, oh, what's the newspaper movie called again? Spotlight. Spotlight. Those are the two. Those are the other two that I know I've seen. He also directed the Richard Jenkins movie The Visitor, uh, which is about immigration, which is unbelievable to think about the idea that that movie is such an empathetic view of a subject matter that in this movie, it just feels like there's no brain at work at all. It's just unbelievable to think that the same people made that movie and this movie. And it's not even like his career had fallen on hard times and he's slumming it. This was a movie that Tom McCarthy was obviously desperate to make and he thought it was making something good. And I have to say that in terms of bad movie making, someone who's sincerely, honestly trying to make something good with a uh, real message to it and then failing spectacularly, that's a lot more interesting to me than these a lot of the no-budget and micro-budget movies I watch, which are just failures because people don't have the resources or the talent to make a good movie. Yeah, I feel they're, you. They're also more worth tearing apart because the, the resources that went into this terrible movie could have went towards four good movies, you know? Very true. Liam O'Donnell, that was The Cobbler from the year 2014. Do you recommend it? I'm going to go with a no on that one. <laughs> That's a negative, good buddy. Uh, no, The Cobbler is a uniquely terrible movie. Uh, if anything, if you're going to watch it, you will likely be watching it specifically to see just how bad it is. It is the kind of interesting bad movie that people uh, that people do sometimes seek out. It is not boring. Uh, it is just wrongheaded and offensive in a lot of different ways. And I've stayed, a word for, uh, stay, stayed away from that word offensive because I know it's a word that uh, some people t- take as us being uh, SJW cucks. But I'm telling you, the stuff in this movie, it should never have made it onto a movie screen. Liam, we're going to take a different... Um, a, a different path on the next episode of How Do You Do, Fellow Kids. Sure, yeah. What is the movie we'll be covering? 1989's Mystery Train, directed by Jim Jarmusch. Now, this is a movie I have seen before, and I do, uh, at least at the time, had a lot of affection for. Uh, I, I'm really looking forward to revisiting it. Uh, are, you a, are you a Jim Jarmusch head, Liam? I wouldn't say head. I like what I've seen, but I haven't seen a lot. So, you know, I don't think, you know, liking... Ghost Dog and uh, um, Only Lovers Left Alive and maybe like one of his older movies. I, I don't think that qualifies me to be a real fan. <laughs> Down by Law is one of my favorite movies. Oh, yeah. So Down I, by Law. That's the, yeah. oh, but that's it. That's it for, that's like my whole Jim Jarmusch experience is like Down by Law, then like two of his newer movies. I haven't even finished uh, Dead Don't Die yet. It's, um, one of the the unique things about Steve Buscemi as a performer is that he has maintained relationships with a lot of different directors. Uh, I saw someone on Twitter asking about this before. You know, actors who have managed to do that with multiple different directors. Steve Buscemi maybe has done it more than anyone else. You know, with his relationship with the Coen Brothers, with his relationship with Jim Jarmusch, with his relationship with Quentin Tarantino, and working through their careers. That's something that I'm sure we'll talk about on the next episode of How Do You Do, Fellow Kids, with 1989's. 
Mystery Train. Liam, if people want to check out more uh, Cinepunks podcast, how should they do so? Uh, they should head over to Cinepunks.com, C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X. Check us out there. Check out all the other shows there, as well as uh, some great writing and uh, pretty soon a, a new snazzy website so uh check it out they can also find this podcast uh and uh archive of our old episodes over at cinemasmorgasbord.com or they can uh find us on twitter if they just want to know what we're doing most recently uh and that's at cinemasmorg s-m-o-r-g uh, I think they can follow you on Twitter, too, Doug. Isn't that true? That's true. You can follow Liam on Twitter, at Liam Rules, R-U-L-Z, and me on Twitter, at Doug underscore Chili. That's T-I-L-L-E-Y. Uh, if you do get an opportunity, why don't you leave us a review on iTunes? All the links are over at cinemasmorgasbord.com. Every little bit helps. And if you have any feedback, hey, if we got the cobbler all wrong, you can email us or leave us a note on social media. Maybe we'll get back to you on the next episode of this show. Who knows? At the very least, we appreciate all feedback. But, Liam, it's time to close the Steve Buscemi bag for another week. We're going to be back again in just a little bit with 1989's Mystery Train. Good night, everybody. Night-night. Hey, yo, Jacal. What up, fam? You know Buzz and Buzz had to come see you guys. It's good to see you guys. Good to see you, too. Let's hey. take the streets for a little ride. Okay, we riding high. Yeah, you better light your L, smoke your L, and just kiss the sky. And if you act with disrespect, bust a map. Why dead men die? Yeah, I, I, I think yeah. the streets been looking for this one for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Come on! I came to bring the pain, more hard to the brain. I'm busting that ass again. I burn like acid rain, that acid flame. These niggas trying to see how I come ash your game. Ain't it evident I'm hitting it? Yes. Mess for president, be in hell with gasoline George just for the hell of it. And I ain't delicate, flows hot as kettle getting after. You ain't fucking with that, you must be celibate. Bad, just a little, got a sack, we can sizzle a little hash in the middle. Where that? In the middle, yup. Mommy, if you got a fat ass, make it jiggle, yup. Put it in my next video shot by Little X. Sending me up, going work till there ain't any left. I'm trying to get what I'm worth and not a penny less. Bank fat. Come on. Bank cash. Come on. Everybody do it with your stank ass. Yeah. Make you rob somebody. What? Grab somebody. What? Stomp somebody. What? Slap somebody. What? Make you want to step to the bar and sip a party. What? Wild out, spazz in the club. We in the party. What? Brooklyn. Come on. Shelly. Come on.